Well, good morning to you, brothers and sisters. Delighted to be gathered on this Lord's Day as Christians throughout the centuries have come to worship the Lord Jesus and, and great to be together to that end. Uh, I know that now that we are no longer registering, it's time we're going to be talking about the welcome cards more. So the welcome card is simply a, a little uh, paper quarter flyer where if you want to know more about what's happening at the church, we'd love for you to fill that out. Uh, we send out a, a Friday email that just says all, a lot of what I say in the announcements. But if you're just like, I'd like to get more plugged in in the church, how do I do that? The welcome card is a great place to start. So at either the back kiosk, you can leave them there or give them to uh, one of us who work at the church. But we'd love to get to know you more and would love to have you more integrated into the church family. Uh, Elder-led prayer. So we want to be a prayerful church. So this upcoming Wednesday evening over in the cafe, uh, the elders will lead that prayer time. We'll be praying for our country, for our region, for specific needs in our church. And we'd love to have you 7 to 8 p.m. Wednesday evening, the 24th, in the cafe. Youth will have their normal programming. The rest of the building is yours. We will just be in that one room. So please come to the prayer time. I, I'm sure you'll be edified as we uh, ask for God's help. Uh, secondly, uh, Mom's Night Out. This is the moms of preschoolers. That can be a very intimidating time of life. And so we would love to have... Uh, those moms, they do such a wonderful job, so please come out to that, 7 p.m. Tuesday, the 23rd. Maybe you know somebody who's, you know, in that stage, and they're just, it's a hard time. Uh, that would be a great place to connect. Mom's Night Out, this Tuesday, the 23rd, here at the church. Pure Desire Ministry, I want to keep this before you. Remember, this is a conversation our church is having about pornography and the problems uh, that it causes in our culture. So maybe you have sons like I do, and you don't know how to talk to them about it, or you're mentoring somebody, and you say, well, this is a real issue and causing a problem in their marriage, or uh, how we navigate this ourselves. So Louis Giotto uh, gave his testimony some weeks ago. I hear it's going very well. Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock, Pure Desires Ministry. And all you do is just pull around the back, come in the back doors, and first door on the left is, is where you'll go. So Pure Desire Ministry, every Tuesday night, I, I recommend that to you and what is really a crisis in our time. Good Friday service. Uh, wonderful to be uh, in the spring. Uh, Friday, April 2nd, uh, 7 p.m., uh, Good Friday service. Really what a great Christian holiday as we look at what happened on, on the cross, that instrument of death. Why is that the, the image of our faith and so Good Friday, 7 p.m., we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And if you, uh, that will be live streamed. If you want to be at home that evening, that's fine too. But we will be in person, of course, uh, for Good Friday. Now, uh, something that will affect all of us, and you've been so incredibly flexible this last year. You know, I think back the last 12 months, I think we've changed service times on you five times. And, you know, say, that's a big, that's like the, the thing you can't do. They just don't do that. Well, we've, we've done it. Um, but I promise, I promise, I think, uh, Lord willing, that this will be our last time change for a very long time. A year ago, we were just getting prepared to go to two services, and I think of that C.S. Lewis line, and sometimes the, long, uh, the shortest way home is the, the longest way rounds, the shortest way home, something like that. It feels like that, but here we are a year later. So starting April 11th, the week after Easter, April 11th, we will go to two services, 9 and 10.30. We've done these three services in an attempt to spread everybody out and at the 8 a.m. to give people an option if they want to come physically to have a lot of space. 
I think with the uh, vaccines now widely available for those who want the vaccines, it looks like that's going to be the case. We'll feel comfortable. You'll notice the chairs will stay six feet apart. Uh, so on April 11th, we'll go to 9 and 10.30. No more three services, but go to two. And I think there, there is plenty of space in here to do that. So service times, last service time change, I hope we can stay at 9 and 10.30 for a very, very long time. And the 10.30 will then be the live stream. Uh, so all of you, uh, it's a change for you as well at home this morning. The live stream will be at 10.30 starting April 11th. And we hope, again, as vaccines roll out, that it will be good to, to all be together again. So those things being announced, we turn our attention to what God has done in Jesus, that we worship him in spirit and in truth as God's covenant community. So Pastor Ian, if you'd call us to worship. Church, good morning. Church at home, good morning. Let's go ahead and stand together and begin our time. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the Lord of mercy and kindness and steadfast love. You bear with your people you have through all the ages. It is not what we have done or anything remarkable in our person that drew your attention to us. It's just your infinite grace and love and mercy that you've showered upon your people. Those who have called upon the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save them, to know them, and to have this hope of being with you where you are. Thank you, Lord, for this rich mercy. Help it, help it to prompt us to sing, to rejoice, to be thankful. Before my brothers and sisters, Lord, I confess my sinfulness before you, my thoughts, my actions. Thank you, Lord, that we have found forgiveness and justice at the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can have newness of life in him. Again, it is your mercy that has made this true. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Christ. We sing and we pray in his name. Amen. Since they are 
words of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the dead we could never avoid. Our sins, they are Saints, let's rejoice together as we can read the scriptures, agree, trust them, and that they would lead us more towards the Lord Jesus. So let's, let's say uh, this together. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. So a right response to the majesty of God, as we just read, is surrendering ourselves to him, namely to his son, who gave himself for us and loves us. So we sing. All to Jesus I Surrender all to Him, my freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily.
Jesus, I surrender, Lord. I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love, powerless, Thy blessing. surrender to a savior, a redeemer, who knows us forever.
forward in the Holy Spirit's power with the glories of the gospel to explain. Now we pray your kingdom come and we pray and sisters, we have much to be glad about, not only the great salvation that we have, but today we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Isn't it amazing, no matter what denomination you're from, uh, no matter where you're at on the globe, that if you're a Christian, you're baptized. That there's, in fact, no category of an unbaptized Christian. To be Christian is to, baptized, to be baptized. And what we're about to witness is actually, it's, there's so much theology in it. You see, when a person is dipped, which is what baptism means, you go under the water, say, none of us can live under the water long. But we've been raised up in Jesus, right? It symbolizes our dying to ourselves and dying to the world, no longer living to ourselves, but being raised in Jesus. And it's an outward sign of an inward reality that we've been born again, that we've been born anew. The same way we celebrate a new baby, we celebrate the new birth. And today, I'm just uh, very thankful to introduce to you this very wonderful young lady, Miss Jane Roach. That Jane uh, has been converted, and the short time that I've known her has had an impact on her friends and on her teachers. And we are just delighted that she is... Uh, standing up and saying she believes in the Lord Jesus and sees in Scripture that she's to be baptized. And so I think after Jane is baptized, it's very appropriate for us to clap and encourage her uh, for what God has done in her life and how thankful we are uh, for her to be a part of this, this church family. Jane, it is, uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to hear what God has done in your life and, and just to see your passion and your, your excitement for him. Uh, and so, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. And, and do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was raised on the third day? I do. And do you trust in Christ alone for forgiveness and the hope of eternal life? I do. And by God's grace, do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to live out his love? I do. And I'm happy to baptize you in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
morning. Good morning. It was emotional. Uh, would you please join me as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer? I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 34 to start. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Oh, Father, our loving creator, God, you are our refuge and our strength, our stronghold and defender, our compassionate and ever-loving God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are our salvation. You are good, you are holy, you are righteousness. You deserve all glory both on heaven and earth. You alone are worthy of praise. Jesus, our Savior, who left heaven to come to earth, to teach us what true love is, to lay down your life for others, who is a ransom for us, who are dead in our sin. Yet, you willingly went to the cross, praying to your Father, not my will, Father, but your will, accepting the punishment we should have received beaten, bruised, crucified, giving up your spirit at your time, but then as we'll celebrate two weeks from today, raising on the third day, and Father allowing us, just like Jane, to be born again and have eternity sealed by your resurrection for us. We confess, Father, that it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Your love, your love sent Jesus to earth and to bear our burdens of our sin and to die and be resurrected. And God, just like we saw with Jane, Lord, we can all have life anew by accepting Jesus as the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father is our Savior, our Redeemer. And we thank you that Jane demonstrated for us what our call is as we become Christians and maybe it tugs on some people's hearts even now, Lord, um, to prompt them to move, to take action. So, Father, we celebrate with her and the impact she'll have on her friends. And we just pray for our impact to be similar, Lord, that we go forth not just to come here as a church, but that we go outside to a world that needs to hear about Jesus and tell of his great glory. As we anticipate Palm Sunday next week, Lord, let us be more fervent in reaching to those who we claim to love. Let us show true love and, and um, introduce them to Jesus. So, Father, we come to you with prayers of our church and our world. For the world, Lord, we pray that this COVID virus, we know you're sovereign in it, continues to um, 
become less and as people become vaccinated, Lord, that we can be returned to a more normal world. God, we pray for revival in this world, in this country, Lord. Let, let men not fear other men. Let politicians not just be about power, but let them fear the only one that could condemn the soul, and that's you, Father. And I pray that we just move in this nation soon, Lord, in this world, that people come to see through this virus that you are sovereign, Father, and that you alone are in control, and that you alone are good, and you seek us to know you and to love you, Father. So I pray for protection of our ministries who are serving, Lord, as they're trying to bring the gospel to many throughout this world. For our country, Father, I pray for those who are serving medically, police, Pray for our president or vice president, those in the Senate and the House and judges and local and state officials, Father God, that they turn to you and that we who may know them encourage them and can, and can plant some seeds for them. And Father, for our church this week, we had some joys, have um, blessings of positive surgeries, of some healings, of some positive diagnosis. I know there's others who are struggling, Lord, uncertain about a diagnosis, uncertain about a marriage or a, a loved one, Lord, concerned about finances, God. I pray in these times that we feel like we are not in control, which we're not, we never are, that we turn to you and that we as a church walk with those who are struggling, encouraging them, bearing their burdens to help them realize that you are walking with them. You are all of our refuge. So God, let us surrender to you, Lord. Let us just be ever-present of your great mercies and grace, Father God. And we just pray for Austin as he concludes Philippians, Lord, and just thank you for this, this study. And let us impact us as we leave these doors. We pray all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd please stand with me as I read the last 13 verses of uh, Philippians, um, starting in chapter 4 reading verses 10 through 23, and I'll be reading from the um, ESV version. So starting in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the, of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, and no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. And so ends this marvelous little letter we've been looking at this winter. I hope it's been as much an encouragement to you as it has been to me and so many wonderful one-liners. I think at the very least, if all of us uh, could read through the letter several times, that would be a great accomplishment in itself. You'd probably read it in eight or nine minutes, something like that. Uh, but to know the power that it has for the saints all the way down to today. You know, and as you read through it, you say, finally, Paul really, in our passage, gets to the point uh, why he wrote this letter, or one of the main reasons he wrote this letter, and that is to, to thank the Philippians for their financial contribution to his ministry. I suppose that's not that all, you know, that unusual. You think when you write a letter, sometimes you're exchanging pleasantries at the beginning, and then you get to the end, and you say, well, you know, this is kind of really the, the thrust of what you want to say. That's, that's close to the idea here. He comes around and thanks them for how they have uh, contributed to the name of Jesus going forth. Now, the Bible actually has a, a lot to say about money. And what's always the case when, when you're the preacher, as many, I've talked to many guests already here today, and you say, well, here's another church that talks nothing about money. Say for us, the, the idea is always we go through the Bible, and the main passage, uh, the main message of the passage is the main thing that we talk about Sunday morning. So everyone in the assembly should say, oh, that is what the Bible says. And so day, today we do come to a passage that talks about money. But as I said, God in his infinite wisdom has given us many insights as to how we can handle our finances wisely and to his glory. You think about not, not very many days go by where we don't think about money in some way. We're thinking about how to pay bills and how to look to the future and how to get done what needs done. Say all of us are impacted by money in some way or another. So thank you, Lord, for giving us many insights as to how we can be good stewards. That'll be a key word today, good stewards of all that you've entrusted to us, that we need God's wisdom. And again, we have it here from Paul to these Philippians. And so as he relates this uh, thank you to them, there are going to be a number of points, again, for us to say, why would we ever contribute uh, to a gospel ministry or to any kind of Christian charity where the name of Jesus goes forth? Well, the end of Philippians gives us some insights to that end. So notice first this idea of being fellow partakers. That's, this is a theme throughout the letter. I'll take you back. You just flip a few pages before. You remember how he starts his letter. He says he's thankful for these Philippians because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's 1-5, then down in 1-7, right? It's right of me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and my defense of the gospel. That right from the start, he's saying, you know, look, this is, this is the church of God doing the work of God together. That it's not how easily we fall, we slip into the pattern, and we think, well, you know, the Christian ministry stuff's for the guy who preaches, but for all of us, you know, we go about our normal lives, and the ministry's not for us. Rather, what we should say is God's called this group together in Christ, in this time, in this place, for a short period, so that we can share the work of the ministry, that we make common cause for the gospel, that we're fellow partakers of what God has done. Now, you think of it and say, well, what really, uh, you know, why do we do all the things that we do? You say, is it odd to some that we would gather every Sunday morning? 
Say, are there many things like this anymore? You say, well, we have sports, which I suppose is a place that people gather, but is there really a, a voluntary association where the people come together to make common cause, that we're losing more and more uh, places to do something like church? How very important it is to say, you know what, God has called us together, and all of us share the work of the ministry. We gather because the voices together... Uh, we communicate something to God in our diverse background to say it's a shared work of the people to bring him glory. Say, so why do we celebrate the sacraments together? You say, well, what if, you know, Jane was privately baptized? You know, just say just her and, and her, her family. You'd say, well, there's something else going on there, right? It's the people of God coming together, celebrating what God has done for them, and then using all of our gifts, not just financial, but to push forward the work of the ministry. You know, while Paul has in mind here uh, largely finances, we use a phrase here that I think is helpful. We talk about time, talents, and treasures. That's a nice way of putting it. I know many people in our congregation, they would say the most valuable resource I have is actually not my finances, it's my time. That what I'm really under pressure as to how to spend it well is my time. Say, or you say talents, right? Each one of us, you come through the membership class, one thing that you know, say God in his great wisdom has given us all different temperaments and backgrounds. And you say, well, that can frustrate us. Say, why doesn't this person think more the way like I, like I think? And that can be a, you know, kind of a negative. You say, well, wait, maybe that's a great positive. That God's brought us together. He's given us all different times, talents, and treasures that we're fellow partakers in the gospel. We know a bit what it's like to suffer for the cause of Christ or at least to have a stigma to be those who would call Jesus Lord. And yet we're in it together. And Paul here is thanking them. Say, thank you, Philippians. You've understand something that's really shared. It's a hypothetical experiment. Let's just say that we had one family at the church that was extremely wealthy. They say that one family could cover all the costs of our church. They could pay all, all the bills and all the staff. They can contribute to all the ministries that we do now. You say, would we like that? And I'd have to say, we, we wouldn't like that. I say, part of what it means to be a church is for all of us to use what God's entrusted to us to push forward the mission of the gospel. That that's different amounts and different skills and different amounts of time, but whatever God has given to us, that we use those to amplify the name of Jesus. And that's why to come back to that word stewardship is such a good word. You'll never, I, I, I will never preach on a tithe. You say, well, you know, that's legalism, right? Like here's the, you know, well, do I tithe off my net or off my gross? You could quite say, that's not the biblical idea. It's much more here to say, are we stewards? God's entrusted to each one in the room some time and our talents and our treasures how do we use those responsibly yes to take care of our obligations but to then to say what really matters to me is propelling the mission of jesus you know hopefully you're getting or we can or make arrangements for you to get if you fill out a welcome card uh the missions update the missions update is a great thing all the missionaries that we support we say sometimes support but more inclined i hope what you hear us say is that we have ministry partners okay, how wonderful would it be one day Say, we're all in glory, those of us who are in Christ. And you meet some saint who was converted in northeast Rwanda. 
And they say, you know, I remember that church in Northeast Ohio gave a rather generous Christmas initiative gift to the pastors in Northeast Rwanda so that they could feed their families and keep going in the ministry preaching Jesus. You say, that should bring us great joy that there's a partnership. They say, we couldn't do what they do, and they needed, needed what we did for them. And what a wonderful thing that is, that we can rely on each other, we can advance the kingdom, that it's not just about the money, but it's about the gospel. And I think also along these lines, you say there's something about sharing in our treasures that binds us together because we're all vulnerable. Say we're all a little bit at risk, right? To say, yeah, I've given sacrificially to the ministry so that we can continue to do the things that we do that we've all got a bit in to say there's something that binds us together. And oh, ladies and gentlemen, do we need that? See, every, every bit of data that we have, say we're a more fragmented people than ever that we're more isolated, that we don't know where real, real attachment happens. Is there any people that I can open up to to really care about, to love, to share, to make common cause at a very deep level about what really matters? Say, enter the church. What an opportunity we have. Say, there are brothers and sisters who gather, who live sacrificially, who give of their time and talents and treasures for the common cause of the name of Jesus that we give to gospel-centered ministries, right, because this is how we are fellow partakers, all of us, to pushing forward the name of Jesus, that there's a great delight in this, and it binds us together. That's what we're to see here, that this relationship, right, fellow partakers, verse 15, right, they've entered into a partnership with Paul, and so all of us have a partnership in the ministry, stewarding all that we have so that Jesus can be lifted high. Second point, and this one a bit more delicate. You see, I wanted to take our attention to verse 17 this time. Verse 17, Paul saying, you know, not that I seek the stuff that you've sent, you Philippians, I'm really thankful for that, but not that it's about the gift, but I seek the, the fruit that increases to your credit. You see that little line, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Say, what's going on there? Paul would understand, as I think the Bible in general, all the times that it talks about stewarding money, would see how we use it, as an investment. See, we all know how investments work, right? We know, understand some things are consumed, but what we really want is things that, um, you know, uh, create more wealth over time. Uh, that's an investment. So here, Paul would have us view giving to gospel ministry as a wise investment, something that's going to pay more in the end, if you will. Now, here's why I have to say, I, I want to be very, very delicate here because there's something that happens all over the world called the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel's not the gospel at all. It's very dangerous. Prosperity gospel says the more you give to the church, the better your life's going to be. See, that sells well, right? Then you have everybody giving, saying, well, this is great. I'm never going to get sick, and my life's going to be grand. See, the Bible does not say that. That's not where we're going with this. Rather, what God would have us see through Paul is that when we give to a real gospel-centered ministry where the name of Jesus goes forth, that that's not lost on God. That's why in the bold heading I say giving to the advancement of the gospel is an investment with a return and then in God's time. That it seems to me much of the return, right, is going to come in the end. That is when we're in glory. You see in verse 19, right? God's going to supply every need of ours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, what we give to the ministry is not lost on God. You know why else this is important in the times in which we live? Is because it, we don't go very far without seeing ministries that really misuse finances. 
that it seems so often I'll go on and say, that's a really hard thing for a church, right? To say, well, why? look at all these knuckleheads out here. Uh, they go and they take the people's money and they use it for their personal gain or use it to do evil things. And you say, that, that, hurts, that hurts very bad when you're in church leadership. You know, I think now it's on the news. I'll just, you know, say it to all of you very plainly that Robbie Zacharias International Ministries it was a really hard thing for me. That Robbie was the Indian-born apologist. Uh, you see, he was a very different man than who he presented to the world for many, many years. I say, if there's one person that really, if I had to pick one person that's kind of influenced the way I think about a, a lot, I, I would have picked Ravi. And you think about all those widows who would have given a check here and there to that ministry that $36 million a year, say many, many ministries like that. Say, what was I doing? Do I become kind of, you know, scorned by that and say, well, no more of that. Well, thank goodness for what we're taught here to say, you know what, who holds that account? Does the return come from the pastor? No. Does the return come from the ministry? Absolutely not. Who's the return come from? God holds the account. It's not lost on him that when we give with the motivation to see the name of, the G of Jesus go forth, that when we give sacrificially to him, that it's not lost on God. And he says, you know what? There's riches in Christ, and it's a guaranteed return. And we will not regret sacrificing our time and our talents and our treasures so that Jesus can be lifted high. Think about this famous line. You probably know it from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So what's Jesus saying? He said, well, yeah, anything that we can invest in here, as important as that is, and we want to, again, be responsible. I'm not getting at that. We want to be responsible, do all the good that we can with our money here now, look out for the future. All that's a biblical thing. But all of us should realize, you know what? What I can do here is not really what matters, but it's what I can do for Christ. That's the imperishable investment. That's the, the real return, that when we stand before Christ, what's going to be the question? Whether I've done a lot for myself or when I've done a lot for Jesus. You know, these Philippians, you cross-reference 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and Paul says those churches in Macedonia were very poor. Say <laughs> so the Philippians were way, way poorer than us. They were a very wealthy congregation, I mean, in terms of the world. Say so the Philippians were very poor, but they gave generously because they understood, right, that where their treasure is, there their heart is. And what mattered to them was that Jesus would be lifted high. So here's the principle, I think, that we gather from a place like verse 17, is that giving to a, a, a cause where, where God's word goes forth, you don't become poorer, as would seem to be the case, right? So wait a second, it's less money in my account and more over there. So we don't become poorer when we do that, but in the long run, in God's good time when he calls us home, say that's an investment that's not lost. In fact, we're going to become richer. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit because God sees what you do. And all of you have been a very generous church. And I think, what, again, what we want to see is a generous God, the riches in Christ, gives way to a generous people. Say, so that's the point, right? That all of us, it'd be really scary to say, if we stop being a generous church, we'd fail to see that we serve a generous God. Say, we want to give more into Lorraine County to help, help the poor, to help the dispossessed, to help the missionaries far away, to, to do things beyond our walls. We want that going out. Why? Because we're fellow partakers and we know that we're investing. 
in the kingdom that has a guaranteed return in God's good time. So point number one, the sharing of our finances binds us together. We really share it. That's what makes us a church. Secondly, we want to think about all we're doing, not as something that's consumed or lost, but rather something that's done for God in his name and that there's a return that comes with that. And then thirdly and finally, that Paul uses terms of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Can you see in verse 18, right? Epaphroditus has brought the gift. He's kind of the go-between. And these gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Say, where does that language come from? A fragrant offering, something that's a sacrifice pleasing to God. You say, well, that comes right out of the Old Testament, doesn't it? You say, you go back to Leviticus, where we're talking about the Israelites and how they uh, atone for their transgressions and how they uh, pleased God. Well, they'd bring the animal sacrifices, and we're told that God, that was a pleasing aroma to God. Now, we all know God doesn't have a body, right? He He's non-spatial. He doesn't have a fixity of location. So this is a what we call an anthropomorphism. It's a fancy word for saying the Bible gives human language to God so we can best understand him. So God doesn't have a giant nose, but where you, you this image say, oh, it's, it was very pleasing to God when the Israels would sac- sacrifice the animals to recognize who he was, the lofty God of all and who, who they were, which is uh, weak creatures of his, and that would please God, uh, that would please God when they bring sacrifices. That same language is used here at the end of Philippians, that when Paul was supplied in the ministry, as we would supply the other ministries around us and, and the missions of the church to fulfill the Great Commission, that it pleases God as an act of worship. So you think about writing that check, or if you do electronic giving, say, so do you think of that as worship? Say, well, it's just what I do because, you know, it's just, a, it's just a transaction with the church, and, you know, we, we like our church, and we understand we need to keep the lights on, and, and I write the check. Is that the attitude? Or is it this? I'm worshiping God by writing that check. We think of worship as only when we sing, right? Say, well, we'll say, well, now we're going to go into a time of worship, and that's the songs that we sing. Well, for the Christ follower, isn't it the case that everything that we do should be a sacrifice unto God. Remember Romans chapter 12, right? Verse 1, that our bodies are living sacrifices. Wait, what's going on there? What the places that I go, the speech that I use, the friendships that I have, that everything can be used to worship, that is give, give weight to, to show everyone that God really is the most important thing, that all that I do wants to show the, the tremendous worth and power of God to the world. And so when we give to the church, say, God, I worship you because this belongs to you anyway. And I want your name to be lifted up because you're weighty and powerful and you're the most important thing. So we worship God in our giving. Now, I want us to see then one last thing. You can think about this this week. I have this very powerful line in verse 11 about contentment. Is there a connection between contentment and the sacrifice of giving? So verse 11 Not again that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul has what he needs. For I have learned to, in whatever situation I am, to be content. (laughs) I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Say, boy, I wish I could say that. I often can't say that. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Say, does that not rub, say, goes right up against our culture? 
to rest in what you have. You feel the pressure come off? Say, what are we taught? Better do a bit more. Not there yet. Keep going. Strive more. You better get there. You're not as good as that person over there or that person over there. Say, you got to keep going. Say, what about God's wisdom to say, learn to be content in what you have and when you recognize that there's supreme riches, all the riches in the world are in Christ Jesus, that the pressure comes off and we can rest in what he supplied. So to make this point, I draw on a 17th century treatise, a Puritan treatise, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. So Jeremiah Burroughs, and of course the line for this Puritan treatise is Philippians 4.11, and I like how he defines contentment. It's that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every situation. What a great term. God has supplied each one of us with gifts and abilities, different things to do. I can spend my whole life trying to be someone that I'm not and keep climbing the ladder and probably be miserable and self-centered. Or I can rest in God's fatherly disposal at just the right time that all I need's in Christ. And when I recognize that, am I not more inclined than to give sacrificially of all that he's entrusted us? Again, we go back to this idea of stewardship. And listen again, he goes on, Burroughs, that contentment is not so much by adding more to your condition, but by subtracting from our desires so that our desires match our circumstances. Again, very wise counsel there, right? So how do I learn to be content? Is it because I want more and more? No, actually, submit to God and rest in him evaluate his work, and drive the mission forward. I'll close with two stories on this matter of contentment and sacrifice. The first ran in Forbes magazine, probably about 10 years ago now. Uh, so whether or not the meeting is apocryphal, I don't know, but certainly the outcome is true. So in the 1920s, uh, nine, nine of the wealthiest men in the world met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. In that room was the president of America's largest steel company, the president of America's largest utility, the president of America's largest gas company, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the nation's greatest wheat speculator, the nation's greatest bear on Wall Street, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, and a member of President Harding's cabinet. And they got together as they thought about in the so-called Roaring Twenties that how these nine men who controlled so much of the world's wealth uh, could kind of uh, do more on this front and, and go even further. And the point in the article in Forbes is to say, you just fast forward a short time, and these nine men did not end well. That The president of the largest steel company, Charles Schwab, he died a bankrupt man. The president of the largest utility company, Samuel Insull, he died penniless. The president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, he suffered a mental breakdown and ended his life in an insane asylum. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, he had been released from Sing Sing Prison uh, after serving a long term there for embezzlement and then died. Leon Fraser, taken his own life. The wheat speculator, Arthur Cotton, died penniless. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, I Ivor Kruger, right, took his own life. The member of President Harding's cabinet, Albert Fall, he too was released for prison only to be allowed to go home and die. And perhaps saddest of all, Jesse Livermore, the Wall Street bear, goes into the Netherland Hotel in New York, has a couple of drinks, scribbles out a note to his wife, my dear Nina, can't help it. Things have been bad with me. I'm tired of fighting. Can't carry on any longer. 
This is the only way out. I'm unworthy of your love. I'm a failure. I'm truly sorry, but this is the only way for me. Love, Lori. Goes into the coat room at the Netherland Hotel, takes a pistol to his head and ends it. Nine guys, very, very good at making a lot of money, did not understand contentment at all. To rest in God's fatherly disposal and his good time, to trust him with what we have, that we're not in a competition with anybody, but to say, God's given each in his wisdom. How do I use what I've been given to glorify him? Because if it's about me, it doesn't end well. Conversely, as a foil to that story, I'd heard this firsthand, uh, but uh, evidently a wealthy businessman was on a mission trip in Thailand, some part in rural Thailand, and he went into the village church there, just this little hut. And it came time in the service where the people would bring their tithes and offerings, and he's watching this uh, happen, and uh, right towards the end of this time, a very old Thai woman brings up to the front, very slowly down the middle aisle, a little wooden bowl that she had no money to give, she had no possessions other than this bowl, the thing that she used every day to prepare her food. That's all she had. And she brought it forward and gave it to the church. That wealthy businessman was so moved in the back, he said, I'm going to buy that bowl for $50,000. See, friends, both of those individuals were trusted with what they were trusted with. And both understood that there's a primary work to be done that is contributing to the work the gospel ministry so that the name of Jesus will be lifted high. Just one life will soon be passed. Just what's done for Christ will last. Friends, we're fellow partakers in the gospel. We share in the grace that we're going to know more and more what it's like to suffer for Christ and have a stigma about calling him Lord. We are. But you know what? When we keep at the ministry, when we give of ourselves to the ministry, it's going to come as an investment to us. We won't regret giving to the Lord. His generosity will give way to a generous church and help us to have the mindset that when we contribute with our times, talents, and treasures, that we're doing it as an act of worship to show the weightiness of God. And we end today's sermon where we end, well, Paul's letter, and quite frankly, the only thing any of us know what to do when we consider the magnificence of God, that's where Paul ends, notice verse 20, with the doxology. I've said all I needed to say to you, Philippians. Glory be to God for who he is. And so it is to him. Glory be to God, I'll pray. Lord, we give you thanks for, while we're sometimes afraid to talk about money in a church and certainly have plenty of examples of how that's abused all over the place, help us to not lose hope, but help us to see the real mindset behind it as you've given to us in Philippians chapter 4, that each of us have been entrusted with different things. Help us to steward them to look out for our own responsibilities, our families, to, to pay our bills, but and all that, to be content with, with how you, to be content with how you've uh, supplied us. And Lord, may we be a church of increasing generosity, that as the years go by, may we become a more and more generous church. I'm thankful for how generous this church family has been, but may we do more and more out of what you supply to us so that you can have your way, so that your kingdom can go forth. Lord, we worship you. Be at work in us, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, church, let's stand together with joy in our hearts. The Savior. My worth is not in what I own. 
died in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, but win or lose in pride or shame. But in the blood of Christ that flow at the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul I will trust in Him no other, my soul is satisfied Satisfied in God alone, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through 
him, that is Christ, who strengthens me. May we continue to be a generous church, and may the work of the Lord abound from among our walls. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And we go in the Lord's peace. Christ is mine.